have yet to receive and become recipients of the beautiful, abundant life that's available to those of us who are in Christ. Because of a lack of faith, they just see the obstacles, they see the opposition, or maybe they have been beaten down, or maybe they've attempted or, and they have been beaten down, they have stumbled, they have fallen. For whatever reason, they're not moving forward in faith. They have stumbled and have fallen and have moved back to the old life and are no longer moving forward in faith and therefore are being robbed of the beautiful blessing that is theirs in Christ the moment they place their faith and trust in him. So it's a personal journey, this moving forward in faith. But it's also, I think, a corporate journey where God's people are moving, not just individually, but they are moving as the body, as a family, as Israelites, as a country. And God has promised not only Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but all of their descendants. And so thus, it's not only a personal journey, but it's a corporate journey where God's people now are, are at the precipice. They're at the front gate, so to speak, of the beautiful promises and the blessings of God. And the question is, will they together move forward in faith? And the sad reality in this text, we learn that they do not. And so I want to take this sort of negative passage because they failed to move forward in faith and sort of gain some insight as to the reasons why they chose not to move forward in faith. So in a positive slant, let's look at seven principles that help us understand how I or we can move forward in faith. There are seven things we must do. First of all, in order to move forward in faith, I must be certain that God is not only a God who keeps his word, but God is a God who fulfills his promises. You see, if I am not certain that God has spoken and that God is a God who is faithful to keep that which he has promised to fulfill his word, then I am more than likely going to be paralyzed in this precipice here in, in failing to move forward because I'm just not sure, I'm just not certain that God is going to fulfill that which he has promised. Take a look at the text. The Lord spoke to Moses. We saw last week how God speaks into our lives and God is still speaking today he's still communicating to those of us who are his children and in the day of Israel in this time in this passage God spoke to Moses and then Moses became his spokesman to the people and so the Lord then spoke Yahweh spoke to Moses and he says to them send men to spy out the land of Cana which I'm giving to the people of Israel he is saying to them I want you, Moses, to tell the people that they are to be sent to the promised land. And now we know the story, and most of us have studied this since we were children in, 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 uh, in Sunday school back in the day, and maybe now life group, where there are 12 men, one from each of the tribes, and they are going to be sent into the promised land. The promised land is named Canaan. And as they are sent, they are sent with a mission, and that mission is basically to spy out the land. They are to survey and they are to study the land and study the people and see what is there in the promise of God. They are sort of to, to take a, an in-depth, personal view, look at those things that God has promised so that they can come back with a report, to spy out the land and come back with a report. But notice the passage that says in this text, which God speaking to Moses says to him, I am giving to the people of Israel. In other words, God is in the process of giving that which he has promised. He is in the process of fulfilling his word. I am in that process right now. From the very moment that I promised Abraham in this long, lengthy journey in which you have been waiting for me to fulfill that which I have promised. Way back from Abraham. Even when you were in bondage in Egypt, 
making your own straw with your own hay, I have liberated you and I have brought you to the precipice of the promised land. And now in that fulfillment, I am going to give you that which I have promised. He is communicating to Moses many times. God has communicated through Moses to his people up to the journey, up to this point, at the precipice of the promised land. Many times he has promised he is going to fulfill that which he has promised. And now they are there, standing at the doorstep, standing at the, the gate, standing at the precipice of the promise. And God is saying, I am giving it to you. I wonder and in your personal journey. In, this, in these promises that God has for us who are in Christ, standing at the precipice of those promises, do we really believe, do we really trust God to be a God of his word and to fulfill that which is promised? I find that in my personal life, many of the challenges come as I consider what God has spoken into my life and I, and I stand at the preface and look at, at the challenges and the opposition and all that is there standing before me. God, are you sure that you really spoke? And once I come to terms with, yes, God, you have spoken, am I then certain that God is going to fulfill that which he has promised? And unless we are sure, unless we are certain, unless we are absolutely confident that God has spoken to us and that God in that speaking to us is a God who, yes, will fulfill that which he promised. I don't know about you, but we have a, a thing called the Bible that we hold in our hands that has thousands of promises, thousands of them. And yet as we read them, we understand them, and we hear the Lord speak into our lives, we often are paralyzed and we fail to move forward because we're not honestly, genuinely certain that God is a God that will keep his word. That he will not fulfill that which is promised. The sad reality is that the people of God are not certain that God is a God who's going to keep his word. That's why God has constantly, continually had to reveal himself in these miraculous things that he has done to them. And speaking through his prophet Moses, assuring them, I am a God that keeps my word. And some of you today are wondering, God, as I open your word on a daily basis and I read it into my life and you speak into my life, will you keep that which you had promised? Will you fulfill your word? And the answer is yes. But unless you reach the place and the point in your pilgrimage, not only as individuals, but as a church, to know that God is a God who fulfills what he promises, he accomplishes his word, you'll never step forward. You'll never make that initial step and move into that which God has promised in Christ. Number two, to move forward, I must not only be certain, I must be courageous. I must be courageous. In other words, I'm not... I'm not going to allow fear to dominate my life, and I'm going to be courageous in that which God has promised. In chapter 13, verse 17, we see that Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up into the Negev and go up into the hill country and see what the land that is and whether the people who dwell in that land are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and whether, they're, whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad. And whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds. And whether the land is rich or poor. And whether there are trees in it or not. We're going to stop there. Notice that Moses is summoning the people and he's going to send them out. And as he sends them out, he's going to give them some instruction. Notice the instruction. I want you first to survey the land. That's what I want you to do. 
I want you to go into that which God has promised. And as you're going into that promised land, I want you to survey the land. I want you to, to, to evaluate it, to consider it, to take a look at it, to study it, to make sure that the land is, is good enough for the crops, the produce that we're going to need. Why is that important? Because as we move forward into the promise that God has for our lives, I know this is not going to be good news for most of us. That means we're still going to have to work. Yeah. This is not the, the, uh, this is not the, um, the Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden thing where they don't have to work. You're going to have to work if you're going to eat. And if you don't work, you don't eat. Yes, even in, the, even in, the, in the, the movement forward, as we are moving forward into the promises of God, it's going to require that we do some labor, that we do some work. Uh, you know, I, I am a sovereignist, and I believe that God is sovereign, and God will accomplish that, which he, he purposes to do. But he does it through his people, and he does it through the people that have faith in him and put forth effort in joining him in what he is doing. And if we do not join him in that which is doing by working that which he calls us to do, then it won't be accomplished. Yes, this church can grow itself, but it's not going to grow without work. Yes, you can... You can, uh, you can inherit the promises of God. Now, I'm not talking about a work salvation where you're working in order to earn or to gain that salvation. That's not what I'm talking about at all. For we're saved by grace through faith, and that it's not of yourselves, but it is the gift of God. But there is a work ethic in our obedience and in our faith in the Lord in that we must join him and we must use our hands and our feet and our, our hearts and our minds and our eyes and to unite with the Spirit of God and to keep in step with the Spirit of God in order to do that which God leads us to do in the strength of the Spirit so that God can use us as his vessels to accomplish that which God wants to bring into our lives. So it's gonna be, there's going to be some work. But not only is there going to be some work, there's going to be some war. Because he says, not only want you to survey the land, but I want you to study the people. Are there many? Are there few? Are they strong? Are they weak? Do they live in fortified cities or do they live in tents? I want you to come back with a report. I want you to survey the people. I want you to study those people who are there. I, and, and, and while they're studying, they're going to learn and discover that the people are well fortified. They have, they have dug themselves in pretty tight and pretty deep. And they have fortified cities. They have strongholds. They have armies. They are capable of defending the people of God from accomplishing that which God had promised to them. And in that survey, in that study of these people, they're going to see that there are giants in the land and they're going to be intimidated by the opposition and by the opponents that are there. And, and he's saying to them, in studying that, I want you to notice, he says, I want you to be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. He's saying to them in advance, don't lose your faith in surveying the land and studying the people. Stay strong in your faith. Because the reality is that sometimes as we're standing at the precipice or we're standing at the, at the forefront of that which God wants to bring into our lives, we often see the opposition. We often see the obstacles. We see the challenges. We see the barriers. We see the difficulties. And yes, even the dangers. And we allow those things to intimidate us and to fill us with fear rather than step forward in faith to receive that which God intends for us to receive. And so it takes courage to take a step forward. 
because you're certain that God is going to fulfill that which he promised. But number three, we need to be very clear about what we're facing. We need to be very clear about what we're facing because this is not, you know, that old saying that ignorance is bliss. I, I, I don't think God wants us to check our minds at the door. I think God wants us to be very clear in understanding exactly, precisely what is before us because in that analysis, in that evaluation, we can then make a strategy led of the Spirit of God, listening to the voice of God that will move forward by faith, trusting God to deliver us from those obstacles and to defeat our opposition. Notice what happens in the verse, in verse 25, chapter 13. At the end of the 30 days, they returned from spying out the land. They were there 40 days. And notice the report, verse 26, and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. You know, I can, I can just almost anticipate the excitement of the people. I mean, they have made this journey now, some of them, for quite some time have been looking forward to this all of their lives and they have taught it to their children, their children to their children. And so we have generations who are present at the precipice, at the front door of the promised land and, and Moses has sent the 12 spy out, spies to, 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 to spy it out and come back with a report and they are just, they're anticipating with incredible excitement all of the, the wonderful things that God is just going to hand to them. He's just going to give it to them. And all of these expectations have been risen. And all of these, this, this, this whole, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, presuppositions? About what it's going to be like? You, you know what I'm talking about? When you first came to faith in Christ, did you have these presuppositions? Did somebody somehow tell you that when you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, that everything was going to be great and you were going to live in a land of plenty and all was be great and good. You'd have no, no difficulties, no challenges, no hardships. I mean, you had this, this you know, this, it's kind of, it's kind of like, that I, do I dare, dare say this? It's kind of like marriage. You know what I'm saying? You walk down an aisle and say yes to this beautiful bride or this handsome groom and you walk out and you, you have this idea of what marriage is going to be like did it ever turn out exactly like you thought it would? Come on, anybody want to raise their hand? Except me, and I'm doing that because my wife is here and I have to go home with her after church. And the people of God were standing at the precipice of the promised land and they had all these, these expectations and these anticipations and these presuppositions and they had been talking about it for 40 days. What is it going to be like when they come back with a report? We can't wait. It's going to be vacation. Then all of a sudden, notice what happens. They showed them this beautiful fruit. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Uh, many scholars believe that, that they were carrying this, this long stick and there was just fruit hanging from it. And it took several men to carry it and they brought it into camp. And everybody went, oh. Incredible. Big, juicy fruit type stuff. And they spoke, notice, and they told them of the abundance. We came to a land to which was sent us. It flows with milk and honey. This is its fruit. Look, here's the evidence. Bounty, abundance, prosperity, health, wealth, and all this stuff. Sound like a modern-day preacher today in some circles, doesn't it? But notice verse 28. 
There's a little word here that changes everything. However. However. You know, I've been a pastor for, well, in ministry 40 years, a pastor maybe 33 plus years. And there's some of you here like this. You come up to me and you want to say something really positive and really good right before you really let me have it. You know what I'm saying? You know who you are, right, Bob? Go ahead and punch you, Wilma. I'm talking about this Bob, not this Bob. They, they, they want to come up and they want to tell you something really good and really positive. And I know it's coming because I know who you are, Mark. <laughs> I know it, man. He's got something that he wants to bring that's, that's a burden on his heart. And I know it's coming. Every time, brother. There's several of you like that. I'm not going to point them all out because i got to be here another two more Sundays. But anyway, we might have a lynching or a stoning at the end of the service before it's over. Um, and so this is what happened. They, they brought the good news first, and everybody's kind of like, oh, cool. And then all of a sudden, however, here it comes. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. What? Wait a minute, here's, 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 here's the, the fear, here's the concern. There are strong people in the land and their cities are fortified. It ain't going to be a cakewalk, people. It's not going to be easy street. It's going to be hard. There will be battles. There will be wars. There will be lives, more than likely, that will be lost in the conquering of that which God has promised. They're not done, though. Notice it says... And besides, you know, not only was there a however, but now there's a besides that. Okay, you thought this was bad? I'm going to give you the, the, not this is bad, but this is really, 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 really bad. Because there's a group of people that live there. They're from Anak. These were people that they believed were supernatural beings that had supernatural powers. It was a figment of their imaginations. They were humans. They weren't invincible. But they were believed to be giants. Tall, strong, invincible, with supernatural power. Now, why would God send his men, these 12, to come back with such a report? I believe because he wants his people to be extremely clear what they are facing. You see, I'm convinced that you cannot overcome the enemy unless you study him and you know him and you are familiar with his strongholds and with the way that he fortifies himself and with the way he presents himself. And he always presents himself invincible, but the reality is he is overcomable. He is defeatable and he is not overpowering for God. For we... Human beings, yes. But when God is with us, he can't defeat us. So he wants you to be clear about what's, what's ahead. It, it, there's going to be work. There's going to be war. There's going to be opposition. There's going to be difficulty. There may be danger. There's an enemy out there who's working against you. And he's not just going to walk away and give you the territory and say, here it is, I'm going to abandon my house and you can take it over and go home. I mean, we're looking for a home in Colorado right now, and, and uh, it would be great to just knock on the door and say, I'm here to claim my house, and they just pack up and leave. That'd be great. They're not going to do that, aren't they? No, and pay the mortgage for us. Well, the enemy doesn't do that, and he wants them to be 
perfectly clear what is coming. And, and, and in order for us to move forward, we need to be clear, courageous, and certain. But number four, we need to be committed. We need to be committed to stand our ground despite the odds. To stand our ground despite the odds. And the sad reality is the odds are not only outside of the camp, they are inside of the camp. You see, the opposition is not only outside, but the opposition is going to come from the inside. Because 10 of the spies are going to say, we can't do it. And only two are going to say, we can. A lot of times, some of the most unfaithful people are the people within the body of Christ. And it's hard for us to take a stand when there's so much opposition outside, but then we come on the inside and we find in our own family there's opposition to faith. Notice what happens in verse 30. And Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, One guy, multitudes of people, thousands of people, maybe a million people there. He quiets them to be still and to listen to what God has to say. And he said, let us go at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Only Caleb has a positive view of everyone present. Sometimes, sometimes you may have to stand alone in your own family in your own church, in your own place of business, even in your school, to stand alone. Positive, Caleb was positive that with God they could do it. Notice now the pessimistic view, verse 31. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. Would you say that's pessimist? There's always a pessimist among you. It ain't going to happen. I can't tell you how many people told me, you can't pay off the debt at Emmanuel Baptist Church. No, I can't. No, you can't. No, we can't. But I know he could. And he has. There are people who, for whatever reason, just take the pessimistic view and they see the obstacle and the opposition and the difficulty and the danger and said, there's no way in the world that we can overcome that mountain. There's no way in the world we can, we can defeat that giant. There's no way in the world that we can walk on that water. But yes, you can. Watch out for the pessimists in your life who continually tell you that you cannot. The reality is you cannot, but he can. Notice now the popular view. You got the, the positive and the pessimistic. Notice the popular view. So they. Notice the they. It, it's greater now. I'm not sure what happened here. Some scholars believe, and I may agree with them at this point, that these ten went out into their tribes and began to spread them this, which, this news that is being shared to us. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, say... The land though which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. Notice the last part of verse 33. And we seemed to ourselves. Perception is not always reality. Let me say that again. Perception is not always reality. Because often our perception is clouded by our own humanity and by our own flesh. Not to mention the world that often wants to skew our, our perception. So perspective is not all, always reality. They perceive themselves like grasshoppers, and so we sing to them. 
Not only did we seem to ourselves, but we believe that they see us like grasshoppers. In other words, they're going to step on us like bugs. They're going to just squash us like we're bugs, like we're nothing more than a bug. No way in the world we can do that. And yet we go back to verse 20. I'm sorry, verse 30. Caleb. Caleb stood alone, committed to believing in God in spite of the pessimist and the popular view. And I want to encourage some of you today to stand on faith in spite of the pessimist and the popular view. Number five, be careful. Be careful because when we resist, reject, and rebel against God, there are always consequences. Always consequences. I believe in grace and mercy and love, and I believe God is a God of love, of mercy and grace, and I think he forgives, but consequences he does not take away. And there are always consequences to our rebellion and our rejecting to stand on faith and, and not trust in God. There are always consequences. Notice verse 1 of chapter 14. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. These people saw nothing but doom and gloom, man. They, they didn't see any prospect of hope, no idea of victory. And so they cried all night. Verse, notice verse 2. It says, and all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we not have died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness? What happens when there's a lack of faith? You start to criticize the leadership. And they're critical now of Moses. They're angry at him because he brought them to this precipice of the promised land and they have brought back now the report and they don't see any hope and any chance of victory and occupying that which God had promised them. The, the land of wealth, health, and prosperity doesn't seem to be for them a reality and they turn on their leader and keep in mind their leader the whole time has been following God. I'm no longer really your pastor and I am for a couple of weeks. And I want to say this for your next pastor. We aren't perfect people. Well, I'm pretty close. But we are not perfect people. But when you criticize your leader, notice what happens. You're complaining against God. Notice what happens in the text. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Keep in mind, when you're critical of your leader, you're complaining to God. Don't do that to your next pastor. Not that that's happened to me in ten and a half years since I've been here. You need to make sure that you follow the leader that God places in this place. And pray that he's following the Lord and he has a heart for you and a heart for the Lord. And he's listening to the voice of the Lord and he's following the Lord. For when you criticize your leader, you're complaining against the Lord. And notice what happens. They are considering leaving now this precipice, this beautiful promise of God, and go back to where they came from. Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? Often the temptation now as you stand at the precipice and looking at the promise and the fulfillment of God is that we're going back to where we came from. Now if you keep in mind, where have they been? 
They've been in bondage. They've been in slavery to a, a ruthless Pharaoh who not only made them work their fingers to the bone, but at some point stopped even giving them the straw that they needed that was required to make the bricks that were used to build his kingdom. They looked at the future as more difficult, more dangerous to them than the past that they left. Probably they thought, well, back there, man, our death will be slower than if we go into the promise. I don't know. But they'd rather go back. And countless of Christians in their personal walk with Christ, when they placed their faith and trust in him, saw the complexities and the difficulties of the journey and turned their backs on their faith and went back to the old life rather than and in slavery and forfeiting all the blessings of God rather than moving forward in faith. And the reality is, so have some churches. And notice then, they wanted to choose a new leader. And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Why do you think they wanted to choose another leader? They were smart enough to know that Moses wouldn't take them back to Egypt. Moses is not going to do that, so we're going to have to choose for ourselves another leader. And the reason why they want another leader is because that leader is going to take us back to where we came from. May I say this? Sort of, it's, it's taken a lot. Um, the journey to get to where we are today hasn't been easy. But I much prefer the church we are today than the church we were ten and a half years ago. We had more people here, but we didn't have the spirit that we have here today. We, don't have the, we didn't have the fellowship that we have here today. We don't have the love for people that we had then. It's a different church. A mega church isn't all that it's cut out to be. It, we were a, a mile wide and a, an inch deep. And so we need to be really, really careful that we choose a leader that's not going to take us where we want to go, but where God wants us to go. Be careful because when we resist and we don't step on faith and we let fear dictate and determine our choices and we try to grab the bull by the horns of the steering wheel and steer it where we want it to go rather than God wants it to go, there are consequences. Be careful, number five. Number six, be confident. Be confident. Verse 5 of chapter 14, be confident in the sovereignty of God. Notice, then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all of the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. Confidence always pleads for the divine deliverance and intervention of God. Because you know that unless God intervenes, it won't happen. There's no reliance upon self. There's a complete humiliation of themselves before God and before the people and recognizing insufficiency and inability in what we are facing, not just with that which is in the promised land, but even the rebellion and the lack of faith among our own people. They put their faces on the ground and the two others rent their clothes in mourning. Notice not only confidence, not only 
pleads for the divine deliverance of God, but proclaims the salvation of the Lord. And then they said to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. And if the Lord delights in us, he will bring us to this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. What are they doing? They're pleading for the divine deliverance of God before the people, before the Lord, and then they now proclaim that God can save us, and only God can save us. They are projecting, they are proclaiming that, it, that the solution, that the answer is God and God alone. And then they prescribe this beautiful remedy in verse 9, only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. You need to repent of your lack of faith and put your trust in God because God and God alone not only can deliver us, but when we put our faith in him, he will deliver us. But notice that confidence not only prescribes this beautiful prescription of repentance, but it then perseveres under fire. Notice, notice the reaction of the people. I find this fascinating. And then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. The congregation wanted to kill them. To kill them. But God intervenes. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. God reveals himself to these faithful servants who stand against the majority. And he rescues them as he wants to rescue his people. You see, the, the providence of God is not often in the majority, but it's often in the faithfulness of that minority that stands with God. And God will honor your faithfulness if you will be confident that he will protect you in your moment of need. Which leads us to number seven, be convinced. In order for us to move forward in faith, we need to be convinced. Convinced is, is an idea of being firm in our belief that the consequences of unbelief are real. Notice verse 11. Three things we need to be sure of, we need to be convinced of. Number one, the displeasure of God. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me? In spite of all the signs that I have done among them. These people now have turned a blind eye to all that God has done for them. We need to keep a record, I think, of all the, the, the hurdles that God has helped us overcome, the enemies that he's helped us defeat, the, the miracles that God has done, the, the, the providence that God has provided, the, these unexplainable things so that we, when we come at the, the precipice of that which God has promised, we can look back and say, you know what? God did this then, this then, this then, this then. He will surely do this now. God took displeasure in them because his people would not put their faith in him. Notice the discipline of the Lord, verse 12. I will strike them with pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. In other words, he's going to disinherit them. They're going to still be his children, but they're not going to receive the inheritance, the promise that he had promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
You see, he's going to kill a whole generation in the wilderness for 40 years and raise up a whole new generation before God will fulfill that which he's promised. And may I say that in 10 and a half years that I'm here, I believe God has done that. There's a whole new generation here that God has raised up in which he's going to fulfill his promise. And number 38 of 14, notice the deliverance of God. Of those men who went to spy out the land, only Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, remained alive. Two of all of the people present in this congregation made it. The sad reality is about the end of the story, we don't have time to look at it, but what do the people do? They decide that they, they need to repent. <laughs> And they take matters into their own hands. And Moses said, no, don't do that. But they do it anyway. And they march off into the promised land and take their swords and their spears and their army. And they go into the promised land to try to conquer it on their own without God. And what happens? They suffer a serious defeat because they move without God. In your personal life, are you moving forward in faith? Are these seven principles present in the journey that God has called you today. You're standing at the precipice of so many promises and so many things that God wants to bestow upon you. And yet we're paralyzed by fear and unfaithfulness because we somehow don't believe that God can do what God said he would do. Will you face your giants in faith? Will you trust God in the battles? Will you stand where most want, won't? I'm sorry. And will you move forward in faith? Let's pray.